Welcome to the podcast of Inspiring Women in Hospitality. I'm Noreen Ahmed, your host. Each episode, I invite a woman from the hospitality industry to share her story with us, why she got into hospitality, her journey so far, her learnings, and who inspires her. On this episode, we hear from Victoria, recorded in December 2022. Victoria shares with us her career in hospitality consulting, development, and investments. She also believes that it is important to speak your mind, no matter how uncomfortable you may feel. All right, we're now recording. Hello, everyone. Noreen here. Today, I have with me Victoria. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Noreen. It's been a pleasure. Um, it was nice meeting you in Singapore during high camp, and now we're finally here, being able to to do this together. Thank you so much. It was great to meet you in person, and thank you for being a guest on this show today. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Um, so hi, I'm Victoria. I'm based in Singapore. Um, I've grown up here pretty much all my life, um, except for when I had to do my bachelor degree. Um, I went to Switzerland for that and joined EHL. Um, but ever since I've also came back and you know started working in Singapore. Um, All right. Uh, so what made you choose hospitality? Um, so strangely enough, I I don't think hospitality ever came uh, to me naturally. Um, I actually wanted to always be a journalist. Um, when I was really, really young, and somehow, well, I didn't, I didn't get the grades that were good enough by one point to kind of do the course. So at that time, a relative of mine just looked at me and looked at my personality and just made a very simple comment about, you know, I think you would fit the hospitality industry. I don't know why he thought that because the person who gave me that advice was actually in the finance background, um, uh, the finance scene, um, and he said. Yeah, why don't you think about that? And so I, I didn't know too much about it, but you know, when you look at the hospitality industry from the outside, it's all very glamorous. It's about hotels, airlines, cruises, travel in general, right? And it's fun, you know. So I said, what could really go wrong? I applied, and fortunately, I did like it enough uh, to continue as uh, to study in my in my bachelor's. Yeah, sometimes you need that 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 outside perspective to to give you that guidance or just like that nudge in that direction. I remember my, my father actually wanted me to be a journalist. Um, I think it was the idea of like travel and, you know, because of the multicultural background that I grew up in, it would like fit me really well. But we realized very early on that I was not very good at writing and it was just not something that was interesting to me at all. <laughs> uh, but then hospitality was, was um, another option because exactly like you're saying it's it's diverse and it's fun and you get to meet a lot of people from really all over the world and yeah. um, so then why did you choose EHL I mean you could have gone anywhere really so that's the other interesting bit as well that I did not plan to go to EHL um, I did not even know EHL exists during my tertiary days um, being all you know the fact that I've only grown up in Singapore, I think the traditional places that we would look at would be, you know, to study in a university in Australia, 
um, if not locally, right? And and that was kind of my two-set like thought process as well. Um, so I, I actually eventually looked at a university in Australia and went back to school, uh, went to my course manager and said like, could you sign off this bunch of credits that I will get off because it's the same, well, it would overlap um, and I don't have to take it again. And she sat me down for two hours straight, basically telling me to aim higher and, and dream bigger um, and to look beyond just, you know, trying to get a degree um, because I was planning to go she go back to operations and she said, you know, even though you're, you know, maybe the degree might at that time might not be of super high value. Um, so it doesn't really matter what degree you get if you want to continue doing operations. But she did say that nonetheless, still select your school carefully, right? So she spoke to me down for two hours. I went home with nothing signed, basically. Uh, I used Google after that, as all, you know, young people do and no one else can tell you anything. Um, and see what were the top possibility schools in the world at that time. And EHL alongside Cornell and you know The Hague came up. And so I decided to apply to a couple of them and um, ended up being at EHL. Yeah, I um, that was really nice that that person actually sat down with you and gave you two hours of that time. You know, it, it would have made such, it's made obviously such a big difference for your life. You know, when you have someone like that willing to, you know, give you that time and push you a little bit. That's great. And um, I just realized when I was applying to go to HL, there was no Google. <laughs> uh, we found out about it through some like a magazine advert. <laughs> in well, the, at least the marketing worked. Like, yeah, it was a lot less in print at that time. I mean, by my time, it was yeah. more online and. And you just have the Google ad, the first thing that comes up, the first line that comes up, right? And you just click on it. Um, so, yes, marketing works in that sense. It does. And I have a little confession to make. EHL was the only school I applied to. <laughs> it was either EHL or nothing at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, I figured my, my backup plan was like, if I don't get in, I'll go and, you know, work somewhere for, for a year and try again. The year. Right, right, right. I, I actually had, I did actually take end up taking a gap year because by the time I decided I wanted to do a, a bachelor's in hospitality, I was, I was debating, you know, between general business and hospitality, given that I came from hospitality background. And um, I had to actually do a full year before I finally made that decision. So I don't think I could wait another year if, if it failed. <laughs> but at least um, I think yeah, it was quite, I was quite glad that at least I was given the opportunity to, to have EHL as a choice. So that's, um, yeah, that was meaningful. No, it was definitely one of the best things I ever did. And I had a great experience. But at the same time, because my first 20 years of my life, I'd spent in Asia moving, even though I went to Europe regularly, my grandmother lived in Switzerland. It was very different when I moved there finally and lived there, you know, like full time. So what was that experience like for you having lived and grown up in Singapore all your life and then moving to to a place like Switzerland? Hmm. I think it's a huge change because, well, a couple of things are different. Although many would claim like Singapore is the Switzerland version of, a I mean, sorry, the Asian version of Switzerland. Um, I, I beg to differ. It's not like that zero adjustment um, because culturally it's a, it's vastly different, right? Um, and then if you go to a school like EHL where it's mainly international, uh, you meet people from 
everywhere, like literally everywhere. Um, and, you know, that alone itself, it's it's very different already. It's it's kind of like um, you need to understand, well, you, you start learning a little bit about how other parts of the world works. And it may, it differs a lot. It can differ a lot as well as compared to how Singapore works because it's super bureaucratic here. There's stringent laws. Everybody's like, oh, there's a death penalty in Singapore. Like it's, you know, it's compared to everywhere else. Um, it, it brings a different sense of culture. So I, I think that in itself, it's already vastly different considering how each is as a school. Um, for Switzerland itself, I think the fact that the country is just a lot bigger geographically already says that there's more to to deal with. Like, um, you know, in Singapore, everything is so convenient. We sometimes take it for granted. Like a 10-minute walk is long for a Singaporean, but 10 minutes in another country is like nothing, right? And it's people get used to commuting to work like for one hour, two hours overseas. But for Singapore, it's like, oh, 30 minutes is like the maximum that I would like bear, you know? Um, and you take all that for granted um, when you go abroad, right? And you start seeing that, oh, it, you got to change your mindset. You got to change um, even your lifestyle and what you understand really from, I think what you know based on previous experiences and based on what you grew up with. So uh, I would say there are a lot of differences, um, both in the social aspect and even you know the living aspect. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, you're absolutely right. Every part of the world brings its own set of cultures. And I think, you know, for those of us working in hospitality or travel, it does open us up so much, right? And we become so open-minded as a result of that because we're all learning, we're all adjusting, we're all adapting to one another's culture depending on where we go. And I and I, I think that's wonderful, right? Because it just makes us so much more respective, respectful of one another as well. Yes, definitely. Um, you also tend to be a little bit more open to um, whatever happens, right? You, sometimes you know that you know life shows you unexpected things, and especially when you go abroad and you take your education abroad, um, that becomes more true uh, as compared to when you're at home and where things are more in your control. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, being overseas, I think definitely helps to mature um, an individual and also helps to kind of, you know, keep our, our, our mentality a little bit more open-minded. Um, and yeah, it brings a certain kind of experience to our lives that we probably learn and we probably try to keep some of it as well, the good stuff, and bring it back home. So that's, that's what I think um, the value is to study abroad. Absolutely. So when you came home after graduating, um, what did you do? Um, so when I got into EHL, I think, again, a new idea sparked my mind because at that time, as I mentioned, I, I kind of told myself, if I do my degree, I will go back to operations, right? But along the way, I came to learn about hospitality consulting. I was really into it. I really wanted to do it. Um, I even did my internship in hospitality consulting and that was with HPS in Singapore. And funnily enough, I mean, good timing in that sense, they also had an opening during my graduation. So I asked, you know, I'm interested to come back. You know, are you willing to take me? So the good news is I did come back 
home and pursue it. And that was where I started my hospitality career. All right. So tell us a little bit more about that experience. Like, you know, for someone who doesn't know what hospitality consulting is, what how would you describe it? Right. So I, I think for me, the reason why even that piqued my interest was because I guess being Singaporean, I'm into real estate in general. And then given that hotels are real estate, um, that that was what I wanted to find out more. And I wanted to understand the uh, how do we assess a piece of real estate and particularly a hotel, right? So that's what HVS would do. I mean, they they specialize in valuations and feasibility studies. So, you know, in that aspect, I really wanted to kind of get into it, um, into that financial slash real estate world. Um, and hence why, why I've joined the company. Um, the experience was, was nice. We, I mean, I, I was given a lot of, opportunity to see hotels across the region, um, particularly Southeast Asia, to Maldives, to even Australia. Um, sometimes, of course, you know, given our industry, the nature of our industry, our work takes us to places as well. So I think one of the more interesting places I've been able to go because of HBS was Papua New Guinea, which is not commonly known for most women to to venture into um but that was an interesting one even so you know it, it has opened doors to to look beyond just singapore and to look just beyond the neighboring countries as well and so two things i wanted to ask here uh first let me ask about uh traveling as a woman to all these places did you ever feel that that was a hindrance for you or did you ha ever have any hesitation to go to all these different places I think for me personally at that point of my life at that age I don't think so I think you're you know that was when I'm my mid-20s and I think that was um you know basically the time of your life where you have no not much commitment you're living with your parents at least for us in Singapore we do that and here we get married um and we treat the world as our oyster, you know, especially for a hospitality and travel student. Uh, I graduate, I mean that we would look at it that way. So I don't think there was any place that I wouldn't have been keen. I, I, I'm always up for it. I think it's more my parents would be like, hey, you're going to like, what? Um, how in New Guinea you're going to like, is it safe? You know, like what's going to happen? How are you going to get around? Um, I remember one trip that I was asked to make, and this was a day trip. It was quite interesting. So I had a very last minute um asked from my my boss at that time to say hey I'm gonna put you on a flight on your own to Medan which usually isn't the case we usually travel with, um, like with one other colleague at least um, so in this case it was an urgent job and I'm gonna put you on a flight in Medan tomorrow and you're just gonna go and at that time uh, in my head I was like how am I gonna get around right because I don't firstly I don't speak Bahasa Indonesia but number one and number two um, I don't really know much about Medan so I kind of took my bag for the day and then got to the airport uh, really early in the morning, took the first flight out and got to Medan. And I still had not settled how I was going to get around to do my field work. Um, but anyway, I had to be at the primary hotel. So I, I kind of took a taxi down from the airport straight away, you know, did, my, did whatever I need to do. And just stepped out and said like, okay, I'll get a taxi now and hope that I, I survived the whole trip basically. 
the the nice thing was the surprising thing was because Medan is I guess um where most of the Indo Chinese uh, settle at and uh, I got really lucky not that I again I don't think for granted but I got really lucky where the driver could speak Mandarin so all I so I just basically booked him out for the whole day but um it's things like the, these that I think make it very memorable and you know I if it were me at that time I guess I say I'll do it again if it's me now. Maybe I'll be a bit more prepared, but you know, I'm I'm still up for it if it happens that way, right? So now I was having this conversation with someone the other day, you know, when you're in your early to mid twenties, you know, you're a lot more fearless, I think, and you're willing to try different things and just kind of go for it and you just don't yeah. necessarily think about the consequences I suppose or the responsibilities that you no. may have that goes along with it so I always say no. if you're going to try and experience and do new things do it as young as you possibly can yeah even in that trip I think because it was a day it was a day trip right so I had to catch the last flight out um and again I don't know anything about Medan at that time so traffic even like I just know that oh I should just avoid the traffic peak hours right and that's usually like the dinner time and that didn't happen. I got caught in the traffic. The driver was so nice. He he was speeding down the highway for me. And even the taxi company was calling him, asking him why he's speeding because the meter was just going, like just buzzing. And he goes above the speed limit. Um, I, I, was, I was super fortunate, but again, very memorable experience and uh, very grateful for the opportunity. So no regrets. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that experience and that that story with us. Um, the next question I want to ask was about real estate and what you said about real estate being so important um, in Singapore uh, in particular. Um, why do you think that is? So I think for real estate in Singapore, at least traditionally during my parents' generation I presume and even my grandparents generation I mean real estate wasn't a very high value in Singapore in the past and the country is only you know 50 plus years old right so the amount the pricing of real estate that has kind of evolved over those years is pretty drastic for Singapore and there is always a saying right and it always goes that the value of real estate in Singapore never really comes down because it's just a small piece of land that every single piece of land that you can get you know, in Singapore, it's, it's of some kind of value at least, um, even that it's a scarce resource. And that's why it's interesting because, you know, we're a very small country and compared to everywhere else in the world, but it's interesting how even on the international um, scale or the international view of Singapore is that the real estate here has always been of very high value and they're always interested to own something here. Um, even though we are a very, very small country. So I think the way I see it is, it's interesting how there's some psychological, you know, play behind real estate here. Um, and that how does that affect the pricing and the demand for it? Um, so hence why real estate is always of, of interest to, to us. And I think the other part about real estate as well is that, you know, we are one of the few countries we're more evolving now, but in the past, there used to be very, very long lease tenure holes, and we're still considered fairly longer than some other countries, um, some of our neighbors like Hong Kong. And in terms of sizes, we still have pretty decent sizes. We haven't come down to the sizes of, like the homes haven't come down to those sizes, same as Hong Kong again. Um, 
the other part to it is actually the lending aspect to real estate. Um, it's been, it's fairly low in comparison to everywhere else. So um, that, that gives a lot of plus points, right, to why people would want to invest or, you know, just even settle here because there is, it kind of adds up for everybody. It kind of, the government makes it very easy for even locals to ensure that they are able to kind of have a house. But even given today's context, um, priority is still given to people who are married. And for those who are single, there's certain limitations that they can only do if they want to acquire real estate. So um, it is they're getting tougher for most, but not impossible. I think at the end of the day. Mm. Well, thank you for, for that background. That definitely puts a lot into perspective also. Um, so going back to your career, um, so how long were you at HVS and then what did you do next? So I was with HVS for two and a half years and then I moved on to Pan Pacific Hotels Group uh, thereafter to kind of do development um, support, feasibility um, studies. So I decided to move after two and a half years simply because I think it was time to take a side. Um, and usually, you know, it's either the owner's side or the operator's side. Um, I actually always wanted to give the owner's side a try at least once in my in the span of my career. And I think that um, that was my intentions, but I also knew that I wasn't fully equipped or ready to be um, in that kind of environment yet. So I wanted to go with an owner slash operator, um, someone who actually owns the real estate and would have their own brand or hotel management company to, to run it. So at that time, the opportunity came with Pan Pacific Hotels Group. Um, a friend referred me and, and that's how I kind of got in. Um, I did that for about one and a half years before moving again, but it was, it was also another interesting um, place to be in because it's a much, well, I wouldn't call it a big company necessarily, but it's definitely a larger company than HVS. So there's also um, a new culture, right, that I had to integrate into and to learn and grow in. So um, I would say that that experience has been valuable, um, made a lot of good friends there. And yeah, still keeping in touch with some of them. And uh, so what are you doing now? My role is capital investments and transactions. To simplify it into two words, um, it's primarily mergers and acquisitions for IEG. That being said, there are other things um, on the side that comes with the job, but the main focus is it's kind of like a growth function, but it's an inorganic growth function. Um, it's different from the traditional corporate development role um, we we look at definitely you know, acquiring large like companies as compared to real estate because it's an asset like um, strategy. So that's um, that's my role there at the moment. So in the end, you kind of are working in finance. So your relative who had a finance background did see something in you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's funny as well how strange how I I am in finance. Um, I think in school even, not that I was bad at finance, but I, I, I was actually better in marketing. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of funny as well how I've come down this path, even though, you know, 
not necessarily the best strength that I have, but at least it's something that I've learned to groom over the last few years uh, with all, all this work experiences, basically. And so is this more in line with what you were saying, having that owner experience as well, or is this something a little bit different now? It's different now. It's, again, evolved. But I, I think at that time, I never... How I came to know about this role was quite interesting. Um, I never knew it ex necessarily existed. Not that I, I think it just doesn't really exist in Singapore. But um, I had an idea that, of course, it definitely exists globally, but just not in Singapore. So it kind of came to me as a surprise to, to find out that there was such a thing here. Um, and it's different from what I originally wanted, right, which is to kind of join the owner's site. Um, I had a little bit of exposure with the owner's site with my last experience at 8M Real Estate, but um, that was for a very unique asset class anyway. So I think right now where I'm at, I'm looking at company valuations. I'm trying to understand businesses basically, and it's not real estate anymore. It's um, a portion of it obviously is relevant to real estate. It still evolves around understanding what hotels are and how do owners look at hotels. Um, but end of the day, for us, when we look at the growth for IHG and to grow IHG, it's really about which business would value add to ours and um, what are the reasons behind that and understanding how our kind of business works basically, because basically we're buying businesses that are similar to us. So, you know, um, understanding the alignment and the synergies behind that, that's, quite new to me um, but also very interesting because it brings a different perspective about the work I do and it's not just purely real estate anymore and so I mean you've had lots of different experiences you know consulting real estate <laughs> owner operator and now like a different perspective um, so obviously you're learning a lot of those what we, we would call perhaps technical skills as as you've gone along but what else do you feel like you've learned professionally over the last few years? You know, things that we know about ourselves today is different mm. from what we know about ourselves, you know, five years ago. Yeah, I, I think for me, now that I'm where I'm at, I think professionally, at least, there definitely will be areas that I'm now thinking about for further either training or education um, I'm not sure how keen I am to go back to school necessarily, but I think there is a, I'm starting to hit a point where I need to diversify my skills as well. Um, learning on the job is one thing, like that is not really the skill that is the issue. But I think, you know, for example, taking an MBA would give a certain kind of uh, skill set as well. It brings out a little bit of a change in the mindset, right? And I think that is sometimes what's needed and you need to go for a trip, like professional course or training or pursue a degree for that, right? And that's that's what it is um, for on the professional front. On the, I think on the, what I would say, the softer skills aspect, um, definitely there has been an evolution of the way I handle people because I think as a consultant you are really a service provider at the end of the day um, so it's very different from when you are doing you're playing a role in a business because um, you, you're, it's different right you, you don't bear business risk 
in, in the event if you're a consultant, um, what you barely do, but you, you kind of have to feel for your clients. You have to empathize and understand like why they would hesitate and think like them, but you still don't bear the risk at the end of the day. Um, and for when you're in a company like IEC or Pan Pacific Hotels Group, and depending on the functions you do, you really have to think on the impact that it will bring to the company. And that will lead you to also change in the way you, um, you work. Uh, the people you meet as well would be quite different depending on the type of company it is. So there are a lot of soft skills that I think has evolved you know, along the way. Um, and as you get deeper into the stakeholders that you're dealing with, um, certain skills also start, uh, I would say, being put to you. So, for example, public speaking or being confident um, speaking in front of, you know, many stakeholders who are much more senior than you, for example, and hold, and they, they can be abroad and they are not necessarily regional stakeholders only goes up to a global platform. Um, having the confidence to do so and being ready for that, I think that has kind of built as I've grown uh, across the various roles. So, yeah, I would say there are things that um, have changed since day one and in both professional and personal. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, a couple of things there that comes to mind is that you know, because we work in hospitality, oftentimes we think that, you know, a lot of what we're going to learn, we're going to learn on the job, but there is that element of having to continuously educate ourselves. And yes, I think the traditional schools are very good at teaching us the technical skills. And then, you know, a lot of the rest you can learn, but it's that personal development that we need to continue to work on and continue to get help on that as well. Yes, there's an element that you can do on yourself, but then having some sessions uh working on those aspects it's it definitely helped mm -hmm. me a lot over the course of my career and everything from for me one of the key things was my voice projection being able to be heard when I'm at an, a meeting or sitting at a table and making sure that I come across as confident and that took a lot of work and some training and and help along the way to to get me to that point um, and also just that confidence to speak public speaking. You know, I think EHL is very good at training you for public speaking, <laughs> but it's a little bit different because you, you know, you're speaking in front of your peers, your, you know, other students. But when you're doing it in, in a professional environment, um, it is different. And I think also for me, what was interesting was because of the way in Asia it's so hierarchical, right? you yeah. spend so much time like you know respecting your elders and and things like that then working in a primarily U.S. culture was very different for me as well and understanding mm -hmm. that those rules don't always apply so having to like yeah. overcome some of those foundational things that was embedded in me as I, I as I was growing up took a lot of first self-realization and then yeah. working through it as well. Yeah, I think that's I I 100% agree to this. Um, having come from an Asian background, you know, we have, we all come with a certain mindset, um, and it's true our heritage, right? It's not necessarily because of work. Um, it's not necessarily because of our company's culture. It's just something we have been brought up with and we've been grown grew as. 
but then when you enter like a more international company, as you mentioned, or you know, even a, a company that primarily has a culture that's um, not necessarily Asian, then sometimes we, it's us, it's it's breaking our own boundaries um, on on understanding how we should, you know, communicate and work um, in that environment, and that takes time. But end of the day, I think you know it's definitely achievable. It also changes us and it, it brings out um, good skills, I think. Sometimes we, you know, at being Asians, for example, to be very afraid of speaking our mind or speaking our opinions, but um, there are times that our opinions are appreciated, right? And and having someone give honest feedback or honest comments um, actually can help more than, uh, you know, deter or derail something. Mm. And... and we shouldn't be, you know, because, for example, right, we shouldn't be, because of that, we shouldn't be afraid of um, actually speaking our mind or giving an opinion. So I think in a way, you know, when we move out of our comfort zones, um, it actually helps to bring out better things um, than worse ones. Um, but the first step is to have the confidence and I think to, to actually be not afraid to take risk and to try um and the the worst that can happen and if something messes up and the worst that really can happen is to just apologize for it because i don't think that's the intention to begin with to um to do any harm or to, to you know have something go wrong but yeah it's it's just taking a step to say you're going to try and take the risk and then be accountable for it um and that as you do that more often, it takes practice and you feel more confident as well. So, so I 100% agree to what you just said. Absolutely. And I think that point that you said is that, you know, our opinions and speaking our mind is appreciated, right? We're, we're there for a reason. We're there to make a contribution as well. Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be, we shouldn't hold ourselves back from speaking our mind because you never know. It may take the conversation in a different direction and you may come up with another solution end of the day so think about it from that perspective and you're right it's 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 hard it's not easy but practice keep doing it learn from it and I I was um on another podcast episode it was like feel the fear and do it anyways right because it's at that moment yeah. where yes it's hard but it's where all the good stuff is as well and I also wanted to ask uh, a question as, um, did you have any mentors um, who sort of guided you throughout your career so far? Um, I guess from a professional front, I think it's not a formal one, whereby obviously the people I work with directly in terms of um, both peers and you know, supervisory levels, um, I, what I do usually is not particularly call them as a mentor. I, I would see it as dependent on what I'm doing or how I'm approaching certain things. I think I, I also value my peers as to a certain mm -hmm. extent as mentors, really, because um, as I grow older, I think, and as I meet younger people as well, um, they have a different way of thinking or, you know, the thoughts change, right? Because we all grew up from very different circumstance under the very different circumstances um 
So I would say in terms of a formal mentor, not quite. I know some people do have one in their professional lives, but I, I don't really quite have one. There are a few people that I tend to go and seek advice from, but I tend to use, like, you know, go through different people because I want to get um, different views as well, not just one view mm. particularly. Um, and I would say, you know, yeah, in, in a way, I, I do rely on some people for, as a mentor, but not not to the extent of, you know, we meet up once a month and then we talk about where I am <laughs> and um, what do I want to do next? Or is this, you know, kind of going to, and it's making me happy and is it, is it where I want to be and yeah. things like that. No, I don't quite have that. Yeah. But at least on a, um, whenever I kind of, you know, have some doubts or whenever I just want to get some clarifications, um, I do reach out to a couple of people to say, hey, you have like 10 minutes and then I tell them the contact and see what they think. Um, and it can be both senior or junior. It doesn't yeah. really, uh, yeah, it no, doesn't I get bounded by just the straight seniority. Yeah, I love what you're saying about that, peer, you know, value your peers. I think this is something that I'm trying to really push forward for as well, that peer-to-peer -peer mentoring, you know, it doesn't have to be someone senior, but I also love that you say it's someone junior. Like, I feel like I, I'm very much the same as you. Like I have a lot of people that I will reach out to for different things and in different age groups or different years of experience, because I think everyone has a different value to offer and a different perspective. And depending on what that situation is, I'll go to people for different things. So yeah, it's, it's really great to hear that from you too. Yeah. I, yeah. I do believe someone, I mean, everybody can find a way to, to kind of make an impact on another person and we shouldn't discount um you know the younger people just because they haven't had enough experiences i think they are able to think for themselves too and um are very much you know have a voice um they should be given an opportunity to to speak up as well because again we go back to that point right to build confidence to have the, the opportunity to practice it um and i think that's where also friendships are formed and that's where trust is formed um when those discussions and conversations can actually happen completely agree and speaking of people i will move on to my final question and that is who inspires you so i think as i mentioned um in a sense of you know, I don't have a specific mentor and therefore I also don't have a specific person who necessarily inspires me. Like I said, I think um, everyone has the opportunity to kind of make an impact in one way or another, a good impact at least, one way or another on another person. I think what actually inspires me is, I think when people, when I see someone, when I see something in someone that I do not necessarily do well in, so I think that's highly respectable. Um, and that can be from anyone, right? It can be from someone senior, again, like my own parents, maybe it's something like patience, or it could be something uh, along the lines of, you know, being more confident or someone is just so confident that I, I don't think I'm even at that level, you know? And it can come from anyone old or young, um, I, I look out for traits that basically I don't see in myself and that I aspire for. And I think that's what drives me and that's what inspires me in terms of who inspires me as well. Yeah. So I don't quite take reference from just one mm. individual. Um, 
but really it's looking at the people around me and knowing you know where the gaps are between myself and them and then pushing myself for that mm. right um and that's what I would use to inspire myself I mean in, in that sense to drive myself no that's really great and I think you're absolutely right and we can't all be you know experts in everything right and that's what makes us unique and different so it's great to have other people who inspire us as well so thank you so much for sharing your story with us today victoria thank you for having me um i yeah i I look forward to hear more stories on your channel as well um i'm yeah i i like i like to hear um all sorts of backgrounds i think it's it's very cool that you're doing a diversified um you know panel where everyone is kind of sharing about the different aspects uh, and what what's important to them um, and also you know giving an opportunity to have a voice on what they believe in so yeah i hope to hear more absolutely thank you so much thank you so much for listening I hope you were as inspired as I was by that story. Please follow us here and on LinkedIn where I post videos of the recordings. Stay tuned for many more stories of inspiring women in hospitality.